Welcome back to the Montgomery Companies Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery. And today I'm joined by one of America's top thought leaders on the topics of organizational health and leadership development. He is the author of 12 books, which have sold 7 million copies and have been translated into, catch this, 30 different languages. You might be familiar with some of his books, The Ideal Team Player, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, The Motive, uh, My Ultimate Favorite, Getting Naked, and his newest book, The Six Types of Working Genius. He's the host of one of America's top-rated podcasts, At the Table, also one of my favorite, avid listener, and most importantly, he's a family man and a person of faith. Welcome to the show, Pat Lencioni. Thanks for having me, Jordan. This is so fun. I'm really glad to be here, sincerely. Well, you've got Matt there with you, and um, you know we talk about you being a family man. It's just so cool. I want to give Matt a shout out, all the work that he does behind the scenes uh, to make your deal go. Really cool to watch you guys as a, a father-son duo. Yeah, it's a blessing. It's a, I'm really proud of him. Well, um, I also want to give a shout out to Brad Lominick, who connected us. So thanks, Brad, for making this happen. Dear friend. Dear friend. Great guy. Awesome leader. Good speaker. Also a podcast host. Um, I want to start us off with a bang, Pat. And I gave you zero heads up on this question. So just know this if you're listening. Um, I didn't prep Pat for this. Uh, but I want to know what is one thing that most people do not know about Pat Lanchoni? Wow. Um, probably that I grew up with um, obsessive compulsive disorder from since my earliest memories. And so I, you've read those stories about people that count things and touch things and do all those things. And I, that was me. And uh, I had many friends who didn't know that because I hid it. And I've come to realize later that it's a, it's a result of wounds and other things. And God uses all of it to, to uh, bring us closer to him. But so I, I had OCD, the classic kind, since I was a small kid. And, it's, and it, was, it, was, it was hard. Hey, we're, we're getting real here. Um, you went deep there. I, I thought you were going to say, my name is not Patrick Lencioni. I thought you were, <laughs> were going to give us that. Um, but I'll, I'll take oh, it, man. I, I appreciate it. Hey, I have it. another one. The actual pronunciation of my name, like literally some of my closest friends call me Patrick Lencioni, and I don't even correct them. But the actual Italian pronunciation is Lencioni. Lencioni, it, right? I'm not correcting you, Jordan. I'm just, that's another thing a lot of people don't know. When I think I'm almost like somewhere in between. See, I thought I had it right. Lencioni. You're right. And, and, oh, I've, yeah. and I've, I've been following you for 10 years. So forgive me if I didn't say it right, man. I thought I had Oh, no, no, no. Again, I don't even notice. I don't even notice. <laughs> well, listen, man, this is a fun time of year for you. And we're honored that you're spending your valuable time with us. Uh, you've got a new book out, The Six Types of Working Genius. It's based on a model. And I'm going to take 20 seconds and read an excerpt from your book that I think our audience needs to hear. And it's a lead into our first question. You say, this book is based on two undeniable truths. First, people who utilize their natural God-given talents are more filled and successful than those who don't. Second, teams and organizations that help people tap into their God-given talents are much more successful and productive than those that don't. So I think this is a pretty good indicator as to why you came up with the model and wrote the book. But if you would, Pat, allow us to go deeper. How did the working genius model come to be? All right. Well, it was by accident. And the book is, is, is going to be out very soon. Like it's, it's, you can purchase it right now, but I think it ships at the end of September. But um, I came up about this by accident because I had been running my own consulting firm with largely really dear friends. And I love what I do. And I've been very blessed that way. And yet 
I was intermittently frustrated and sometimes quite frustrated when I was at work and I didn't know why. And one day, this was just two years ago, a little over two years ago, I was, I was pretty excited about one thing. And then a few minutes later, I was frustrated. And the next few minutes later, I was excited. And one of my colleagues said, why are you like that? And she meant it in a nice way. Like, what's, what's going on with that? And I said, I don't know, but I'm really tired of it. I don't know why. And then I, I sat down and over the next four hours, I just kind of thought about it. And I don't even remember how it all came about, but six circles ended up on a whiteboard. And I, I, I discovered that there were these six different kinds of, of skills or work that has to happen in any endeavor. And that I was spending too much of my time outside of the ones that I loved. And I didn't think I'd come up with a model for the world. I just thought I was explaining something to myself. And then a consultant saw it and shared it with a client the next day. And other people started seeing it and applying it to themselves. And one of my colleagues said, this is bigger than the five dysfunctions of a team, Pat. And we were like, okay, then. And Matt and Tracy and I and Cody got on it and started developing something and an assessment. And we had no idea how it would resonate with people. So it was by accident that we discovered this. It was just a gift, a grace. And um, I'm, it's the most exciting thing I've ever worked on. And I have so much fun talking about it, Jordan. I could just talk about it all day. I love how you refer to this model and this book as a productivity tool as much as it is a personality model. And right. um, I would love, Pat, because I've been through it. Um, some people have, some people haven't. I, I find that with the teams we're working with, most of them already know about the working genius model. The book's not even out yet. And yet, all these organizations are using the model. Could you walk us through the model and can we get a little bit deeper into the model? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The model, we, we launched the assessment almost two years ago and, and, but and we, we were going to, we usually write a book first and we were like, no, we have to get this out there. People want to use it. And so then it just took me a while to actually write the book. So we did it in a reverse order. So the, your question was just to go through the model. Yeah, I would love. Yeah. Just take us through it. You know, the, the, the six types of working genius. Right. And Jordan, you're right. It's a productivity tool. And it's also an individual assessment to understand your gifts. And so, and that's a bit of a challenge because it's both, but, and that's what makes it work so well, I think. So it goes like this. There are six geniuses or different skills or, or, or gifts that God gives people. And all six are required to do virtually any kind of work, whether you're starting a new company or launching a new product or reorganizing your church or, or um, planning a family vacation. Any kind of work, any endeavor, project, whatever else requires six different skills. The problem is each of us only has two, which is or what we would call our geniuses, where we get joy and energy and we're usually really good at those. So we want to know what those are. Two of the six are what we call our working frustrations, which which we can't stand doing. We need to know what those are. And then two are in the middle. We can do them, but they don't really feed us, but we can get by. So people need to understand those. So here are the six choices. The first one is the genius of wonder. Now, this is the first one we talk about because it's the one that happens first in anything. And it happens at the highest altitude, like at 50,000 feet, your head in the clouds. And people that have the God-given genius of wonder really enjoy and are quite good at noticing things around them, pondering, asking questions, speculating, and, and, and raising issues around potential. They're like, is this really the best it can be is should we be thinking about something else why does it work this way just like amy my colleague said to me that day why are you like this amy has the genius of wonder and she's constantly asking those questions my wife has this too and so people like that are are really good at raising the issue and every company that's ever started somebody said hey maybe there should be something better than this 
I wonder if there's not room in here for some new idea. Now, the problem is people with the genius of wonder don't see it as a genius usually because it's quite natural and internal. They also don't because a lot of people have said to them over the years, why are you still asking questions? Why are you still doing that? <laughs> That's not practical. But everything starts with somebody wondering yes. and asking a question. Uh, 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 you know, what's, what do you call the word? I just blanked out on it. It's not a question you're actually asking to get answered. It's more of a uh, rhetorical, rhetorical question like, yeah. is this the best it can be? Okay, so the genius of wonder comes first. The next genius, which comes a little lower in altitude, just a bit lower, and the next is somebody that hears that question and says, ah, I want to answer that. I, have an, I want to come up with an idea. Please let me invent something. So it's the genius of invention. So the first one is the W for wonder. The next one is the I for invention. And there are people, I'm one of them, who wake up every morning and love permission to try to solve problems in a unique and novel way, to come up with new ideas, largely without context. We love coming up with things out of nothing. And it's, it's how we're wired. It's God-given. It's, it's not the most important one by any means, but a lot of times people that are good at this one, people will say, well, that's a genius. And it's like, no, it's just one of the geniuses. It's just one that a lot of people don't understand. So some people are naturally invention-oriented, and that's me. The next one that comes after invention is probably one of the most unique and interesting ones, and it's called discernment. And in, in the faith world, people think of discernment as like discerning your vocation and things like that, which is true. But in this context, it's a little different. Discernment is some people are just really good at hearing that idea and using and their gut tells them whether it's a good one or not. They have good instincts, good intuition. They're good at pattern recognition and integrative thinking. And they just know how and, and for some reason, they know how to look at something and quickly assess whether it's a good idea or not. And and it's not because they're, they're linear thinkers or it's not because they have a lot of experience or, or specific knowledge. They're just generally good at assessing things and coming up with a pretty good answer. Um, I like to talk about a woman named Tracy who works in our organization who has discernment. And what I love about this is when we figured this out, I asked her, were you like that as a kid? And she said, yes, people would ask her for advice as a kid all the time. And in my family, Laura will just say, in fact, I said it to Laura just today. We're like, what should we do? Should we refinance our home? Or do you think we should add on? Or, or what do you think? We, where should we go on vacation? Or, or does, this, does this shirt and tie go together? And the answer in our house half the time is ask Tracy. <laughs> and it's not because she's an expert. It's because she just really knows how to kind of look at a situation and assess, yeah, that feels right to me. And it's a real gift. Cody has discernment. He's the guy who looked at the working genius tool and said, this is going to be bigger than the five dysfunctions of a team. And this was three days after coming up with it. We didn't even know it was going to be anything. And, and so far, the reaction we've had says he's, he's been right about that. So some people are naturally good at discernment, and it is, is truly a gift. So you start with wonder. Somebody invents, somebody discerns, because not every invention is a good one. A discerner can go like, no, that one's not so good. Here's why. This one's the best one. Then comes galvanizing, the G. Some people wake up in the morning and love to rally the troops. They love to push people and remind people and get people excited and get things moving. Now, I, I'm okay at that. People think because I'm a public speaker, I'm good at it. That's not the same thing. I'm not, this is not one of my areas of genius. And that's how we came up with this model because every day, Jordan, I was coming to work, ready to invent and discern what I like to do. And I was constantly being asked to galvanize. Mm. And 
yeah, I'm the CEO, so I have to do it sometimes, but it was like every day and I was burning out and I was getting frustrated. And, and that's how I said, oh my gosh, I'm doing something that I don't love all the time. I'm not doing the things I do love. That's why I'm getting grumpy. And so galvanizing is a genius. And just because I'm the leader of the team doesn't mean I, I love to do it. Um, so I found another guy in my, Cody, the guy I was telling you about, we did the working genius and he's, he's a galvanizer. I'm like, you like doing this? He goes, oh, I love doing it every day. I'm like, you're the chief galvanizing officer. <laughs> yes. So now he does something he loves. I don't have to do something I don't love. We're getting twice as much done in less time because we're leaning into our geniuses. So, so wonder, invention, discernment, galvanizing. The next one is critical. It's called enablement, enabling. And people think, well, that's a bad word because it sounds like something you do with an alcoholic or a drug addict to enable them. It's like, no, no, no. Enabling somebody in something good is one of the greatest gifts you can do. And not everybody is good at it. There are people that God made to answer the call that mm. when somebody says, I need something, they're the first ones to go, then I want to do it. Let me help you. Oh, and they're excited. They're like, really? I get to help you lift this thing off the ground and get it started. Please let me help. I'll figure things out. I love responding. Okay. I do not have this as a genius, which as a follower of Jesus, I feel guilty for that. Like, but aren't I supposed to be like that? It's like, no, not everybody is. I still have to do it sometimes, Jordan, yeah. but I should not be in a job where people come to me and just say, I need you to help me on my terms, do something. When, when my wife asked me to clean the garage, the first thing I do is like, okay, why do you think you need to clean the garage? Okay, let me come up with a new system for it. And she's like, no, I just want you to stand in the corner. When I hand you something, you're going to take it outside. <laughs> and that crushes me. <laughs> and she knows that now. So now she'll just say, just keep me company. I don't want to I don't want you to reorganize, reinvent things. I just want you to keep me company while I do this work. So enablement is a critical skill mm. for any team. These are some of the most valuable people. A lot of times people that have it think they're just nice. And it's not that. It's a genius. It's a gift. And some people are naturally inclined to do it and teams need them. Mm. The last one is what we call tenacity. So there's people that love to help. There's other people who just love to finish. And people with tenacity are the ones that go, oh, there's an obstacle. I'm going to blow through it. When's the deadline? I'm going to make sure we meet it. I, I will not rest until this is done. So enablement is really like coming alongside to meet the needs of, of, of people. Tenacity is about the task. And yes, there are people in the world, I cannot relate to them at all, who wake up every morning and say, oh, please give me things to do. I want to finish <laughs> it. I want to meet the standard. I want to prove that we can do it on time. And I will feel great. I, on the other hand, like to start things and then I lose interest and I get bored and I wander off to something else, which is why I've written 12 books and I couldn't have written one of them if I didn't have editors cracking the whip on me. Tracy in my office is uh, not only has discernment, but she's pretty good at tenacity and she forces me to finish my books because the end of my books would be terrible if it were up to me. <laughs> I lose interest. I wrote one book and I just said, and then he died. <laughs> she's like, that's a crappy ending. Get back in the office there until you come out with a good ending. <laughs> God bless so, Tracy. Oh, yeah. So it goes wonder, invention, discernment, galvanizing, enablement, tenacity. And that's how ideas go from a question to a finished product. And we need them all. Amen. 
Well, some people are listening to this, Pat, and they're, and they're thinking, okay, I got it. Hey, thank you for pointing out my genius. I understand it. I'm good to go. And, and we, would, we would challenge that and say, hey, you, you really got to take the model because there, there's going to be some things that um, come to light that you didn't expect. That certainly happened for me. We were talking about that offline. Could you explain, though, Pat, how uh, this assessment, this tool is different than some of the other assessments or tools that exist? Yeah, and I'm an assessment junkie. So, so I loved Myers-Briggs. I still do. And and DISC and all these other things. And we've, we've used those in our practice for 25 years. But what makes this one different and it is very different is it's about the actual tasks getting done. Like you, in Myers-Briggs, I'm an ENFP. Well, what kind of job should I have? And what kind of role should I play? And what kind of things do I like to do? You can't really translate it very well. And none of the other ones translate that specifically. This one is actually about the very kind of work you do that gives you joy and energy which you're generally really good at. And so what we find is it takes 10 minutes to take the assessment and people get their report back. And in moments, oh, I'm looking at yours right now. You read it and you go, oh yeah, oh yeah. That's why I failed at that job when I was younger. That's why when people ask me to do this, it's hard. This is why I'm drawn to this. No wonder I love this. So it's the handles are very easy. And literally 20 minutes after getting the results, teams start reorganizing. Yes. They're like, you love that? I hate that. Why am I doing it? They're like, I don't know. I wish you'd let me do it. Oh, well, let's have you do that and I'll do this. It doesn't really matter what your job title is. It's really about, is that something that feeds you or not? Now, all of us have to do things we don't love sometimes, completely. But we might as well find every opportunity we can to lean into the things we love doing. And productivity goes up. Um, people's morale goes up and customers are happier. This is one of those win-wins that, uh, that is so clear. So the, the thing is, this takes so little time. And I will say this too, Jordan, we priced this low on purpose because when we, we did this, Dave Ramsey is a friend of mine, great guy. And Dave was like, Pat, you should have charged a lot more for this. This is like a game changer. And I said, I know Dave, but we don't want anybody to hesitate to do this assessment, mm. whether they're 20 years old and they're thinking about what kind of job to get when they graduate college or for that matter, a high school student or a CEO to having their whole team or their company go through this. So it costs $25 to do this and, and it takes 10 minutes and the results are, are the, the report we made is pretty rich and it allows people to use this. And, and we have had so many people say it changed their marriage. It changed their career. It changed their company. And so anyway, we're so excited about it. So, so you've already mentioned this, and I, but I want to go a little deeper because I love how you are constantly elevating and, and talking about the members of your team. In fact, we were joking before we started our conversation, started recording that, you know, that the book was dedicated to Matt, you know, and you were giving Matt credit and you constantly talk about Tracy. And I love um, how you talk about Laura, you know, as a member of, of the team. And so um, I'd love to hear maybe some more truths and um, some more insight as to how this has affected your culture. You know, when you think about how this fits in to the mission of the table group and how this has changed your organization from the inside out, you've, you've already sort of shared a couple anecdotal stories, but, but anything else that you want to riff on there, Pat, about how this has affected your world and your work? Sure. I'm going to tell you about an employee. She might be able to hear me because the, the, the door isn't completely shut and she's out there listening, I think probably. Um, and uh, her name is Danny. So I found Danny because she was cutting my hair at a men's kind of salon place near my office. 
And I'm talking to her and she's telling me about her life and Dave Ramsey stuff that she's working on and her, the, the Catholic school she's sending her daughter to. And she comes from a pretty tough background. She's a dear person. But and so we needed an administrative employee. So I, we hired her to, to do administration for us. Well, when we did Working Genius, we realized she's a discernment person with enablement. So what she loves to do is help people and use she has really good judgment. She didn't go to college. Right. She never loved school. But she's got a genius for somebody brings her a problem and she solves it without any fanfare. And it's quite astounding to see. Now, I could have looked at a resume or asked her about all these other things. But when we figured out what her genius was, she's now running customer service for us. And frankly, here's a, here's a, here's how it applies too. she actually kind of likes it when a problem comes up because it allows her to solve it now. She, what she, she doesn't love like systems and stuff. She kind of likes the art of figuring things out. And so now we've, we celebrate her. We've got her in this great role. She's doing fabulous in her career. But if I were to put her in charge of preventing any problem from ever coming up, she would go, that's not very fun for me. And I know why. Yes. So See, without good. this, you judge people and you go, well, and it's the judgments that we make of others. We, we sometimes think, well, they don't care enough or they're not that smart or they don't work hard enough. And then you look at their working genius. We, we've had so many people, Jordan, call us and say, I was about to fire somebody in my organization. And then we did their working genius and it explained everything. They were a, they're a good cultural fit. We just so had the wrong job. And so I love that. That is my favorite thing, I think, or one of them, that we save people's jobs because we, people get to understand them. St. Francis said, seek to understand rather than to be understood. And this helps people understand one another. This is a perfect segue. Okay. And we're going to come right back to the working genius model. And again, I'm going to remind our listeners, all you got to do is email us, ashley at montgomerycompanies.com, A-S-H-L-E-Y at montgomerycompanies.com. We're going to send you a free copy of Pat's newest book, The Six Types of Working Genius. We're talking with our team. We're preparing for this conversation, Pat. They're asking me, you know, what are you going to ask Pat? What do you plan to talk about? I said, well, there's no way. I'm going to have a conversation with Pat Lencioni and not mention The Motive, which is my favorite all-time leadership book. And so if you're listening and um, you're getting back to why, like, why do I lead? Why do I do what I do? So much of what you help people with is 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 the why, Pat, and it's understanding yeah. who you are, the gifts that you have, and leaning into your God-given giftedness. Um, you once said uh, people um, shouldn't be in leadership without knowing why. They, they shouldn't lead without knowing right. why. And I think... That's a lot of the reason you wrote the motive. I'm going to let you take it from here. You talk about reward-centered leaders, responsibility-centered leaders, and the importance of understanding why you lead and um, how it affects your your path moving forward. Can you give us an insight into the reward-centered leader, responsibility-centered leader, and why uh, people should think deeper about why they're leading? Let's begin with the end in mind here. Let's. There's that saying called um, servant leadership, that, that term. And I used to love it. I don't like it anymore. I wish people would stop using it. The reason why is because that's the only kind of leadership there is. <laughs> and to, to say, well, that person's a servant leader. It's like, well, what's the other one? Oh, well, they're not servant leader. They're a, well, that they're leading, not because they're serving the people they're leading. They're doing it for themselves. And that's not leadership. That's just personal economics. And when people go to a graduation ceremony and they say, like the speaker says, go out and be a leader, change the world. I'm like, no. <laughs> Why do they want to change the world? Because they want to be famous and well known for that? Or is it because there's something good that they want to do for others? 
And, and I realized this in 22 years at the, when I wrote this book of, of working with CEOs, that some of them were doing it because of the money, but that wasn't the biggest problem. Of the power, that wasn't really the biggest problem either, although those are two big things. A lot of them were doing it because it allowed them to do whatever they felt like doing on any given day. They would come to the office. And I know I slid into this at one point in my career and go, I should be able to work on what I find fun. And I'm going to abdicate everything else. And when we lead for money, power, fun, prestige, freedom, we're doing it for ourselves. But when we come to the office and say, what does this organization need from me? And I need to, you know, the gospel reading at mass this week was, you know, humble yourself. You know, the last shall be first, the first shall be last. In an organization, the leader is last. And, and they, they, that's either going to make you feel really good about being a leader. It's going to make you wonder, why did I do this in the first place? And if your motive for being a leader is about yourself, you're never going to do the right things. Now, here's where it fits into the working genius. Because when you come to work, I have to be willing to do anything for my organization. But if I'm not good at that thing and it's going to burn me out, then for the good of my organization and to celebrate the people around me who are better than I am, I need to give them an opportunity to do what they're better at. Not just because it's a pain in the butt for me, but because it elevates them. See, I'm responsible for making sure that happens. I can delegate, but I can't abdicate. And too many leaders abdicate. So you say there's two types of leaders. Yeah. Pat. There's reward-centered leaders and responsibility-centered leaders. How do you know if you're working with a reward-centered leader or a responsibility-centered leader? Well, I love this question because it sounds very binary. And, and, and to a certain extent, it is. But I've had so many people, Jordan, th these are my favorite kind of readers, that call me and say, I've been doing it for the wrong reason, and I'm going to change. Because we can change. So it's not like what color are their stripes. <clears throat> a lot of people, because of society and because of you know, what we would call original sin, slip into reward-centered leaders. And they were once a leader for the right reason, and then they start to get a little bit more attention, a little more comfort, and they start focus on what's in it for them. So how do you tell? Well, there's certain things that I've found. There are certain activities that reward-centered leaders will often abdicate or try to get out of doing, at least unless they just happen to love them. And they're, they're, one of them is having difficult conversations. So many leaders I know just will not have a difficult, uncomfortable conversation with somebody. They'll, they'll just skip it and go, I don't, wanna, I don't wanna do that. And the rest of the organization is suffering, that person's suffering, the team is awkward, and they're like, I don't wanna do that. Not fun for me. Of course it's not fun, but it's your job. Another one is managing their direct reports. A lot of leaders will become a CEO or a high-level leader and they'll go, I've been managing people my whole life, I don't wanna do that anymore. I hire smart people, I'll let them figure it out. Now, that's an abdication and the organization is gonna suffer. Whether you like to do it or not, and by the way, I don't love this part of my job, but you have to manage your people. Um, a third one is running great meetings. Now, I don't think too many people said, I want to be a CEO or a leader, a pastor or a principal, whatever else, so I can have great meetings. But it is required. No organization thrives without great meetings, and that is the leader's role. Now, that might not sound fun to them. Eventually, it is actually. But a lot of leaders go, I don't want to do that. I'll just let Fred run the meetings or Mary run the meetings, or I'll just try to make them as short as possible and get out of them. Another one is building the team. Some people are like, oh, I don't want, I'll, I'll let HR do team building. It's like, no, 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 it's not touchy feely. It's building a real team. And that's your job as a leader. 
And the last one is a lot of leaders don't like to repeat themselves. And so a lot of CEOs, I, I had a guy call in and say, I was five for five. I didn't do any of the things you said on there. I realized I had the wrong motive and I'm not changing. I admire the heck out of that guy. But a lot of leaders say, I don't want to repeat myself. I, I say it once. If they don't hear me, that's on them. Like, no, no, no. You're, if you're the CEO of an organization, you're the CRO, the chief reminding officer. And we have to do that again and again and again. So those are five activities that we find that a lot of leaders who are leading for the wrong reason <clears throat> tend to abdicate. I still remember you at the Global Leadership Summit, Pat. And I think the theme for that year was like, everyone has influence. Yes. <laughs> and you said, everyone has influence and they probably shouldn't. Yes. And you said that from the main stage, like at the Global Leadership Summit, that was such a moment. That book has been such a gift. And um, tell you what, if you're listening and you want the motive, it's not fair to talk about it. We're handing out your other books. If you send us an email and you include, hey, I'd also like a copy of the motive, we'll send you a copy of the motive as well. Um, we'll send you a box of those to make that easier for you, Jordan. Okay. Well, hey, that'd be great. Uh, that, that book <laughs> has just meant so much to me and I couldn't have you on the show and not talk about the why. So many, so many books are about the how. That book's about the why. And what I love about that book, Pat, is it's tied to Jesus. It's tied to faith. You use Jesus over and over as the ultimate example of, you know, a servant leader who was responsibility centered. And, um, and man, I just want to say thanks for wearing your faith on your sleeve and talking about Jesus and representing him in the marketplace. Um, that's meant a lot to me as well. So I, I appreciate the way that you do that. Sure. He is everything. And, uh, and, and it, it, though it gets harder in society, I think it gets easier. You know, we just remember the things Jesus said to us, you know, like, yeah, they're going to hate you. It's okay. They hated me first. I've overcome the world. So we can joyfully represent him and, and witness to him. And if, if we get a little punished for that, we should do what Peter and John did and rejoice and say, oh, we got found worthy to suffer for Jesus. How cool is that? Come on, man. So good. Yeah. And it says in Corinthians, right? For I delight in weakness, insult, hardship, and persecution for when I'm weak, then I am strong. Um, Brother, you're strong. This gift uh, of conversation is just something I'll remember for a long time and appreciate your time, your energy. Um, I can't let you go without you talking about where people can find more about The Working Genius. We're going to tag all this in the show notes, by the way, but anything additional that you want to say about where people can find your new book that releases here very shortly? Yeah, the assessment can be found at workinggenius.com, just workinggenius.com, two Gs in the middle. And so you can get it and take the assessment in 10 minutes and figure out what you are. The book, which is all of my books are fiction. You know, I write, I write fables so you can really understand it. So the book, which will be out on the 27th of September, can be purchased anywhere books are sold. And if you want to do it, if you, want, if you purchase it in advance, they'll have it ready for you when, you, uh, when, when the date it comes out. Well, so. um, our, our listeners are going to be uh, better off for um, this conversation and for getting that book in their hands. So Again, send us an email, dive into the book. If you haven't taken the assessment, take the assessment. It is different. It's totally different than any assessment you've taken. It's not just a personality model. It is a productivity tool. Um, Pat, anything you want to leave our listeners with? Anything else you want to say about the, the working genius, the model, the book, or um, anything on the topic of leadership or organizational health? I think, I, I think there's two things. First of all, on a very practical note, I will say that there's a team map that you can do if a team takes this and right away you can look at it and see gaps and see things and have, it's really one of those amazing things to watch people go, oh, no wonder we struggled in this area or no wonder we do this. So the team map is a great tool. The other thing I'll say on a much more a higher note is that I really think God wants us to use our geniuses. And I think there's a, 
you know, my dad, God rest his soul, used to say when he when when I was younger, he said, well, if it were fun, they wouldn't call it work, Pat. And I remember that. And I, I remember feeling kind of bad for him. And I realize now that God has a plan for using all of us. And he gave us gifts, the talent, you know, like in, in the Bible, they talk about the talents, but the not in the same yes. thing. But he does give us talent and we are meant to to use those to serve him. And sometimes we have to do the things we're not great at. But I think it's important for people to recognize he has a plan for us and he gave us gifts. And if we know what those are, we can put them into practice. And that's a great way to serve him. So we shouldn't feel guilty about trying to pursue the use of the geniuses he gave us. Amen. Understand your genius. Live into your God-given giftedness. Pat, you're helping people do that. This is a major blessing. Thanks for every minute of delightful conversation today. It has been a pure pleasure for me, truly. God bless you, my friend. Thanks for being on the show. You too. This has been another episode of the Montgomery Companies Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery. And we just want to say thanks again to Pat Lencioni for lending your time, your advice, energy, effort. Can't wait for the official release of your new book, The Six Types of Working Genius. Um, Again, send us an email, ashley, A-S-H-L-E-Y, at montgomerycompanies.com, and we will gladly send you a free copy of Pat's new book. I want to say thanks also to John Choate and James Roth of Storyline Multimedia for all of the work that they do behind the scenes to make this episode go. If you enjoy listening to this show, if you're somebody who tunes in once in a while to our podcast, we'd love it if you'd officially subscribe so that we could move our mission of impact forward and uh, share this conversation with somebody else. Pat has so much wisdom. And so if you enjoyed listening to Pat Lynchoni and took value from his podcast and his conversation, we'd love it if you'd share it with a friend. This podcast is designed to help the leader go farther faster. We hope we've done that today. Be well, be great. Have a wonderful day.